Okay, welcome back. We're going to look a little bit more then at this uh, popular thesis that has entered into evangelicalism about the fact that the primordial earth, the original earth as created in Genesis chapter 1, was created as a temple to God. Particularly, the Garden of Eden was a temple to God, and the idea was that Adam and his posterity would, would, as priests, push out the borders of the Garden of Eden until it covered the whole earth, and then the whole earth would be one great temple to God. That's the idea. And uh, I've been quoting from G.K. Beale, mainly because he's the main proponent of this, and his ideas have really caught on, in uh, particularly in uh, Reformed seminaries. And I want to quote a little bit more from his book, The Temple and the Church's Mission. He says this. <clears throat> What's the purpose of his book? Let's, let's find out. He says, in this book, I will attempt to amplify the evidence adduced in support of this answer in order to enhance its plausibility. My thesis is that the Old Testament tabernacle and temples were symbolically designed to point to the cosmic eschatological reality that God's tabernacling presence formerly limited, the, limited to the Holy of Holies, was to be extended throughout the whole earth. Uh, by the way, Beale can't write a sentence without a bunch of jaw-crunching words, and it just doesn't seem to be possible for him to do that. But uh, uh, let me write, uh, just read a little bit more about what he says, and then we'll, we'll uh, examine these things. He says, in, in attempting to substantiate this thesis, I will survey the evidence for the cosmic symbolism of Old Testament and ancient Near Eastern temples. Then I will argue that the Garden of Eden was the first archetypal temple and that it was the model for all subsequent temples. Such an understanding of Eden will enhance the notion that the Old Testament tabernacle and temples were symbolic microcosms of the whole creation. As microcosmic symbolic structures, they were designed to point to a worldwide, worldwide eschatological temple that perfectly reflects God's glory. Pages 25 and 26. Um, let me kind of bring it down a, a bit here for you. So, what Bill is saying is that the tabernacle and then the Temple of Solomon, these were uh, the dwelling places of God and they were little microcosms of the whole cosmos. So they were cosmic temples, that's what they call them. Uh, temples reproducing or, or imitating the cosmos. And this is what you find also in ancient Near Eastern temples, as we saw the last um, last week. And the um, the basic idea is that the gods would would build the temple according to these uh, these ancient and naive notions of uh, the earth being founded on pillars and a, a big kind of brass vault 
over the top of it for the sky that you stuck the stars on and so on. Peter Enns makes a lot of this in his book on incarnation and inspiration. And um, that's kind of the world view that everybody shared. And so that was reflected to one extent or another in the building of the tabernacle and then the temple. Eden, though, was the first of these uh, temples. It was the uh, uh, archetypal temple, he calls it. And particularly the Garden of Eden was this temple. Because, after all, God walked through there. And if God walked through there, it's a sacred space. Uh, By the way, the gods in other mythologies, they didn't just confine themselves to temples and uh, didn't mean that everywhere that they strode was supposedly sacred. But, um, the the important note here is the word eschatological. Notice that with Beale. He, he said it twice. That uh, these prefigured an eschatological temple, that is an end times temple that would cover the whole earth. Now, I'm going to cut to the chase here. Uh, Beale's book is The Temple and the Church's Mission. Now, why is it called that? Well, it's called that because the the end-time eschatological temple, according to Beale and all of these guys, is the church in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ now is the is the temple that has replaced the uh, the structures of uh, you know Solomon's temple and so on the, the temple in Jerusalem Jesus is now the true temple and the church of course is in him and the church is a temple so the church is a spiritual temple and is now the true temple do you see and the church will spread throughout the whole earth and com- complete the job in Christ that Adam the first uh, man failed to do and they have a bunch of other uh, Adams also or, or second Adams, third Adams you know Abraham supposedly an Adam too and then Israel supposedly an Adam they all failed but the church is, is going to to uh, win the day so that's kind of the idea uh, that we have here don't forget that Adam is supposedly a priest and he's got priestly vestments on and I read to you that there are clear statements according to Beale the clearest one being in Ezekiel 28 which uh, which tells us that Adam uh, was this this priest for God in Eden at the at the beginning so basically that shows uh, as he's wearing priestly uh, priestly garbs then he must be a priest and therefore a uh, Eden, which is mentioned in Ezekiel 28, must be a temple. You see how how kind of it reinforces each other, the arguments. Um, but what do we do with this? I mean, where do we? Uh, how does this hold up to scrutiny from the Bible? Well, it, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. Yes, it is true that the ancient Near Eastern uh, temple building myths did 
think that the temples were a microcosm of the whole cosmos. Um, but they had a very, uh, uh, very reductionistic and erroneous view of the building of the cosmos. And remember, they didn't have just one God who was responsible for building the whole earth and the whole universe. They had many gods that did that. Moreover, we know that um, in many places, the gods didn't always indwell the temple. Uh, Rodney Stark talks about this. Elmer Martins talks about this in places. Uh, the, the, the god didn't always uh, dwell in the temple. Also, um, you know, apart from the fact that that uh, the whole earth was pronounced very good by God, not just the Garden of Eden, and there is no reason to think that there was any evil going around on the whole earth after it was created on the sixth day, but that God permitted Satan into the Garden of Eden for a short time as part of his test for Adam's loyalty. That seems to be a much clearer inference from the text of Genesis. What about, therefore, Adam being this um, this character in Ezekiel 28? Beale puts a lot of emphasis on this. Uh, others that follow him, uh, uh, Gentry and Wellham and Hamilton and, and a bunch of them, you know, Everyone who writes a biblical theology nowadays does this stuff. Uh, what about this? Because according to what most people, most conservatives uh, have said, the character in Ezekiel 28, the king of Tyre, how can it be Adam? I mean, it, it, it seems to be Satan. Let's just read the passage. So this is Ezekiel 28. Verse 12, Moreover the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Edom, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared in you on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. And uh, verse 16, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Um, is that Adam? According to Beale, that's Adam. Adam is the one who's... Uh, Got these, uh, these stones on a, on a garment that he's wearing, do you see? And he goes, by the way, he doesn't go to the Hebrew text of Ezekiel to get the 12 stones, because you need 12, of course, to represent 12 tribes. Uh, he goes to the LXX, 
the uh, Septuagint to do that, but that's beside the point. Look, I might be stupid or something, but, but I thought that Adam was naked in the garden. I mean, if, if Adam partook of the fruit, of the forbidden fruit, and then heard the voice of God walking in the garden, why didn't he just nip to his wardrobe and put on his, his priestly garments? That would have been better than a fig leaf, wouldn't it? I mean, he had clothes to wear, surely, according to this view. So why did he do that? Why did he, why did he, uh, cover himself with a, with a fig tree, fig leaf? And then, moreover, why give the silly excuse to God that the reason that he hid from God was that he was naked and he was ashamed. Well, God had given him some clothes, hadn't he? So why would God reply, who said you were naked? God wouldn't have said that, would he? God would have said, well, why don't you put your clothes on then? Do you see, it doesn't work. Adam was naked in the Garden of Eden until he was clothed by God. He was not, he did not have priestly garb. Moreover, Adam's not a cherub. A cherub in the Bible is not a man. And if in Ezekiel, particularly, anybody who's done the cross-references in Ezekiel knows what a cherub is. A cherub's a really weird-looking creature with four faces and wings and eyes in it and hovers above the ground, makes a strange noise, and it is not a man. In fact, it has a face of a man. But if you want to know what the face of a cherub really looks like, it seems to look like an ox, according to a cross-references from Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10. This is easily done if you just believe what the Bible says and you're not scouting around looking for something that the Bible doesn't say. If you're going to build your, your theology on speculation, and there's a reason for this I've not got to right now, by the way, but I'm going to get to it. Um, you're going to miss an awful lot of what the Bible has to say. Folks, just, just bear with me here. In Ezekiel chapter 1, okay, here's a description of the faces of a cherub. Verse 10, as for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man, each had the, uh, of the four had the face of a lion on the right side, each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and each of the four had the face of an eagle. Got it? Man, lion, ox, eagle. Ezekiel 1.10. Go to Ezekiel 10. According to Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 10, these are exactly the same beasts. Let's have a look at their uh, their faces, shall we? Uh, verse, where are we? Verse 14, each one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub. The second face was the face of a man. The third was the face of a lion. The fourth, the face of an eagle. Cherub, man, lion, eagle. What's been switched out from Ezekiel 1.10? Ox has been switched out for cherub. You say, well, what are you trying to say? I don't know what I'm trying to say. All I'm saying is, 
that it's possible that the Bible here is trying to tell you that a cherub, if you want to know what the, a cherub looks like, it looks like an ox. Okay? But it doesn't look like a man. Here's the thing. Whatever you make of that, um, in Ezekiel 28, same book, this is a cherub that God is speaking to. This is not Adam. Not only was Adam naked in the Garden of Eden, Adam is not a cherub. And Adam did not walk up and down on the stones of fire. You say, what are the stones of fire? We don't know. We don't know. But, there is another place in the Bible where you get some weird creatures who are kind of like the, the cherubim. And that's in, in uh, Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, you get the seraphim, don't you? So let's have a look at this. Isaiah chapter 6, because there's an interesting passage here which um, might throw some light on it. This is, by the way, another passage that they go to to uh, try to prove that uh, the cosmos is a is a building. And they saw it in temple building uh, terms. Isaiah 6, you know this passage, talks about the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. Um, one cried to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And... Um, then it, uh, it, Isaiah the prophet responds, I dwell in the people of, an, of unclean lips. I have unclean lips, verse 5. So then look, see what happens. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken and your sin purged. Well, there's some coals of fire right there. Do you see? And you've got the same, well, similar creatures. So here's cherub. Here's a cherub. He's walking up and down on the coals of fire, uh, or fiery stones here, which might be the same ones as you find in uh, Isaiah 6. And um, it's not Adam, folks. If this is the best text the most explicit text, as Beale says, proving this this doctrine, um, then we're we're way out into Disneyland here, into crazy land. Moreover, if our Adam was a cherub, can you remember what God did when He cast Adam and Eve out of the garden? He put a flashing sword there, and He put what cherubs guarding the uh, the garden, the entrance back in. Okay, were these cherubs men? Um, if they were men, where did they come from? Did, you just, did God just create a bunch more men and stick them there as guardians? Or were they these weird creatures that you find in Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10? And if they were, then... How can Adam be a cherub? If cherubs were guided, guarding and keeping Adam, the man, out of Eden or out of the garden. You see, this whole thing, upon a little bit of an uh, inspection, doesn't make sense at all. 
The Old Testament scholar Daniel Block in uh, Festriff for, for uh, Beale um, wrote a, a very good article which kind of, um, you know, critiqued in depth a lot of Beale's views here, uh, including the fact that God, uh, of God walking up and down in a place made it holy. God walked up and down in the camp of Israel. Uh, in the book of Numbers. It doesn't mean the whole camp is holy, just because God walks up and down in it. So, again, just because something is um, a holy place doesn't mean you have to have a priest there. Uh, Moses was not a priest when he stood before God in the burning bush. But it was a holy place. God said that it was a holy place. So, you see, this 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 just doesn't, work at all why then are they pushing this what's the point of this because surely there has to be a point to all this oh yeah there's a point and it has to do with the idea of eschatology so we're going to look at that uh, next time